Last week we began a new series through the book of Nehemiah. We saw that during the time of King Cyrus, the first king of the newly formed Persian Empire, in 539 BC, he made a decree that the peoples might return to their homelands. He reversed the national policy that the Babylonians had had that they were going to assimilate the people by taking them out of their homelands, and he decided to send them back. And we read in the book of Ezra that this was in fulfillment of the prophecy that Jeremiah had spoken, that the people would be in exile for 70 years. And so many of the people returned at that time. Now, by the time of Nehemiah, we find ourselves several kings later. Close to 70 years have passed, and yet the work of rebuilding has been abandoned. And we find the people in Nehemiah verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, they've given in to their troubles and the shame that they are experiencing. But Nehemiah was so moved by God that he was not content to serve in the palace for the rest of his life. And he went to his knees in prayer. We talked about how God's work continues today. And Sometimes we may feel like the people of Israel who were discouraged. But God is still raising up a people who love the Lord and His kingdom. Who are willing to seek Him and to sacrifice everything for the sake of Christ. I was thinking about that as uh, I received a letter this week in the mail, in the church's mailbox, and it said that our name change has been approved. Now, there's still details we've got to work out with uh, changing that at the, you know, the mailbox and the bank and all these different places. But, you know, it's exciting to me, you know, that um, for those of you that don't know, we are changing our name from Cardston Baptist Church to Christ Community Fellowship. You know, Christ Community Fellowship is just a name. And it symbolizes in many ways a new beginning for us. It symbolizes our desire to be identified with Christ and the fellowship that we have in Him. But it's not the name change that's going to change us. We need the Lord. And so, I would invite us on this journey of seeking the Lord, asking God that we might seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, that He might form us and make us into His image, so that we would reflect Christ, and that we would be a, a community of fellowship 
with the Lord and with one another. Just reminded of this as we go through the book of Nehemiah. And we see his heart for God's work and his desire to follow the Lord. And today we're going to look at Nehemiah's love in action. And the Lord who prepared the way for him in which he should go. When I think about the bottom line of this chapter, and I'll give it to you now, we really see that we too are called to go out into the world to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we become passionate about God's work and care about His ways together, We recognize the question isn't so much, is the Lord going to work for our good and his glory? Because we know that to be true. We read the word of God. The question is, will we follow Christ? Will we follow him in seeking the will of his father in heaven? Will we follow Christ in going to do his will? even if it should mean laying down our lives for Him. In this passage, we see that God longs for His people to wait for Him and to go with Him. He does not want us to build our own kingdoms and go our own way but to look to Him, to seek Him, to submit to His ways. To trust and obey as He directs our steps. Not to have just a little bit of Jesus added to our lives. To be willing to go and serve the Lord. If you would turn your Bibles uh, back to Nehemiah chapter 2, I want to read again verses 1 through 8. Give us some of the context of the story. In the month of Nisan, Nehemiah 2 verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's grave, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, well, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, 
How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, and may they let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, to give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So we see in verse 1 that it's the month of Nisan. And the king has been called upon to serve the king's wine. Now the month of Nisan is about four months after he received the news. And all this time, chapter 1 tells us that he has been praying day and night. Urgently and fervently looking to the Lord, waiting on him. We aren't told why Nehemiah waited, whether there was any external circumstances that uh, caused this or was a reason for this. But what we do know is what he did during that time. That is that he prayed, he looked to the Lord. And so to... In times of waiting, we must look to God. We also see, um, by the time that he has an opportunity to speak to the king, it's been four months, and he's been thinking about it. And so he's ready. He has a plan. He's not sort of fumbling around in the dark for an answer to the king. I was thinking about waiting in, in terms of my own life and you probably say that Shanae and I haven't done life very slowly but I was just reminded of our own process of waiting you know and in many ways I felt kind of like Moses the who am I kind of a feeling like are you sure you didn't pick the wrong burning bush to to drop in on but you know, we were seeking the Lord. And He made a way for us, a way that at first I didn't want. And He gave us this opportunity to come here. And we came because we were seeking the Lord's will, not our own. Because we had this desire to serve in rural Canada share the gospel, we came knowing that God was with us in this. You know, I realized a while ago that we're never going to know all of God's plans and His purposes. He does not tell us everything. A lot of times He's just like Abraham. He's like, go, go, leave the land of your forefathers. And then he goes, and later he tells him some things, but he still has to wait an awful long time. By the end of his life, he hasn't seen the full fruit of what God had promised. But it's enough to know that when God wants us to go, it's enough to know when we know something that God is, is calling us to do, 
that he is with us. And God asks us to submit to him in faith and to actually seek to know his plan for our lives. To be obedient to the things in his word that he tells us to do and to seek to know how can I fulfill this word? How can I do this in the Lord's strength? God wants us to go with him not without him. And you know, some of the most wonderful promises in Scripture are to those who wait for the Lord. You might have memorized Isaiah 40, verse 31. For they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles, and they shall walk and not faint. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Makes me wonder why I race on ahead sometimes. Not looking to what God would have me to do. Psalm 25 verse 3 says that none who wait for you shall be put to shame. We wait on the Lord. We have no need for shame or guilt. Lamentations chapter 3, in the midst of horrible suffering and the judgment that God is pouring out on the city of Jerusalem and the people of God, Jeremiah is able to say, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So these promises are teaching us and reminding us that going without the Lord, seeking to do the things that we think should be done, it's not, it's not a good path. But to wait for the Lord and to submit to His ways, we know that He'll be with us. Know that he's going to be good and faithful. So I don't know all that happened in those four months, but I know that Nehemiah looked to the Lord and prayed to him. It's a wonderful example as we look back and realize that just as there is a time to wait for the Lord, that we must seek his ways and look to him for strength. That there's also a time to act upon what God has given us, what we know of His will. See, if we wait for God and we give that, uh, that that's the thing we say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm waiting for God. And we won't go with God ever. I don't think we're really waiting for Him. Because real faith obeys in what God has given us to do. And what we know of His will and takes those opportunities that He gives us. Because we have faith that no matter what happens, though I don't know all the circumstance, I don't know what, what might happen if I take this opportunity. But I know that God is with me. And I know that this is the right thing to do. 
So back in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, Nehemiah has an opportunity from the Lord. You may notice Nehemiah tells us that this was the first time that he showed his distress before the king. Don't know if it was intentional or he didn't wash his, scrub his face and put on some makeup to hide his eyes. I don't know what, but the king noticed his servant's sorrow. He realized that this was something going on in Nehemiah's heart. And he asks about it, and God used this opportunity for his glory. The end of verse 2 tells us that Nehemiah was very much afraid. You know, there's lots of speculations and possibilities with this. I kind of think putting myself in Nehemiah's shoes, talking about the most powerful man in the world, I think I'd be a little nervous. With any regret, <laughs> um, we know that Nehemiah was a trusted servant. You don't become a cupbearer without that. And yet, there was still a, a response initially of fearful emotion. But what does Nehemiah do? He answers honestly. And then just a brief moment later, he prays. There are going to be times when all of us are afraid. But it's what we do with that fear that matters. We able to be honest, to speak the truth when it's needed, and to have faith in God. Nehemiah is a reminder that those who wait on the Lord don't have any need to fear. God has said that I'll be good to those who wait for me. And in response to Nehemiah's answer, what does the king do? There's some back and forth and talking about the details, but basically the king gives him permission to rebuild Jerusalem. But not only that, you read it uh, very clearly spelled out in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14, that he sent him to be a governor over the province of Judah for uh, first a period of 12 years and then later uh, for more time after that. But what is important in all this? I think Nehemiah's conclusion in verse 8 of this first part of the narrative is important. Nehemiah said, The king granted to me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was with me. He understood that it was God that got the king's attention, God that gave him favor in the sight of the king. God's grace. God's good hand is the center of this story. You know, whether it be in a time of waiting for the Lord or a time of going with God, the Lord's desire is for us to align ourselves with His strong, good hand. Because it is only in 
going with Him and aligning ourselves with His purposes that we will see the kind of success that is of eternal value. On Nehemiah's journey, there would be many obstacles. And we'll read about that and talk about these things over the next couple of chapters. But we see in Nehemiah's obedience to the call of God that he entrusted his life to God because he recognized that God was the one directing his steps, that God was the one who was showing his grace in accomplishing these things. He had courage because God was with him. And so we read as we go on in verses 9 and 10 of uh, some opposition. We meet Sanballat the Horonite, whom we know from history was the governor of Samaria, the neighboring province. And Tobiah, an Ammonite official, and these people were displeased that the king would send someone who is favorable to the Jewish people and yet there was nothing they could do to stop Nehemiah. It's interesting, in all of the book, they mostly ridicule and use trickery. They don't have any real forceful power because actually God had taken care of that in giving Nehemiah all of the papers and the responsibility. Um, but they were still certainly they're going to be an ongoing problem. So he goes on to Jerusalem. Verse 11 and verses 12 and 15, we read about um, his uh, journey around the city under cover of darkness. He's not quite ready to reveal his plan. And so he wants to understand this situation more clearly. And if you look at your maps, you might be able to um, place about halfway down the city. On the west side was the valley gate, and he went down from the valley gate and around the dung gate and the dragon's well or the serpent's well and up to a place uh, by the gate of the well where it was too difficult even with the rubble for his animal to, uh, to keep going. And so he went on a bit further up the east side, and then turns back around to the valley gate. Having seen the situation for himself and seeing the problem, does Nehemiah turn and run, or what does he do? Well, in verse 16, we see that he came to the people, came to the leaders and those who'd worked, And he's not ignorant of the, the problem, the difficulty. He tells them about that straight up at the beginning. But he goes on to share simply about God having been with him. Share about how God had given him the favor of the king. And God used 
Nehemiah's enthusiasm and leadership and planning to encourage these people who were discouraged. It's not always easy to encourage someone when they're discouraged, but Nehemiah points the people to the Lord. He again recognizes that it's the Lord's work. And the Lord was with them in this work. And he had faith in that. And so the people didn't just say, well, let's, well, yeah, we'll get to that. They're like, hey, let's get to it right away. And they start to prepare themselves for the work. Because... They began to see through Nehemiah's faith that they could do this. I wonder sometimes if they weren't more convinced by the fact that the king had given him the letters of permission. But we do because they go discouraged again. But they begin to do that work as they begin to see God's work. In their midst. And you know what? Nehemiah doesn't just point to the Lord's work before the people of God, but he does so before those who are opposed. Sanballat and Tobiah wanted to come along and they ridiculed the people. They said they were being rebellious against the king. Is that true? It wasn't true at all. And Nehemiah could go on to say, you know, you don't have any rights here. (laughs) This is uh, not your province. But the first thing that Nehemiah tells them is that the God of heaven will prosper us. And we see again his faith. He trusted and obeyed a God of grace who will never leave his people. That's the real story here. Nehemiah is a wonderful example because he had faith in God, because he obeyed God in his will. But ultimately, this was the Lord's work. We need to remember that as we go about following him. In chapter 1, we we looked at being called to a sacrificial love, to the same kind of love uh, that Nehemiah had, and concern of going to the Lord in prayer, caring about the people of God. In chapter 2, we see that we have been called to act upon such knowledge. To go to do the Lord's work with the good hand of God. This is echoed in the Great Commission. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and make disciples from all nations, and make, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And what does he encourage the people with at the end? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we must remember as we go about 
the Lord's work. That the Lord is with us. And yet, not to ignore the importance of that call that there's an obedience that must take place and a submission to the Lord's will in our hearts. You know, I cannot tell you the specifics of what God is calling you to do each and every day. Um, But I think it's important for us to recognize that He has given us all a work together. This ministry of reconciliation. Proclaiming that in Jesus Christ we might have fellowship with God through the death of His Son. And on the things that we know of God's Word, to love our brother, to bless our enemies, to share the Gospel, to put away evil from our heart, we can obey and know that God is with us. How are we going to obey the Lord in these things? To go about the work of His kingdom, seeking not our own kingdom and our own righteousness, but the kingdom and righteousness of God. You know, maybe you need to begin in that waiting stage that we all need to begin with looking to the Lord, praying to Him, learning to pray, becoming equipped perhaps for the task at hand and learning how to help one another, how to encourage one another, how to share God's Word with those who do not know Him. Let's work through these things together. Here's the thing. Eventually, we all need to act in faith on what God has called us to do. Trusting in His Spirit to do this work. We may not exactly always know what that looks like. We may not always know what's coming next. But God is working. And if we lay down our lives and our desires before Him, I know that He will begin revealing opportunities for us to go and to testify of His glorious grace. My greatest desire for us as the body of Christ here in Cardston is to see us laying down our lives To follow Christ. Willing to take those opportunities. Seeking to be used by God. And in submission to His kingdom purposes. In our lives. So wait for Him. Look to Him. And to His word. Don't go ahead without the Lord. Go with God, following His Word.
in His ways. There's a time to wait and there is a time to act at different times in our lives. But we can trust God all the way. We're willing to look to Him. You know, He prepared the way for Nehemiah to go. It was His good hand of grace that made all the difference. Nehemiah was willing. He trusted the Lord and obeyed Him. And the Lord's presence was with him. The Lord's presence is promised with those who trust and obey. Who wait for the Lord and His strength and His plan and go with Him, trusting in His power. I want to close with the benediction from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who by the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our, the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, may He equip you with every good thing to do His will, working in us what is pleasing before Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen.